Welcome to the Michigan Minds Podcast, a quick and informative analysis of today's top issues from University of Michigan faculty. Thank you so much for joining Michigan Minds for the special series to discuss women in STEM. Can you please introduce yourself and share a little bit about your role at the University of Michigan? I'm Rebecca Cunningham, the Vice President for Research here at the University of Michigan. I'm also the William Barson Collegiate Professor of Emergency Medicine and a Professor of Health Behavior and Health Education. I've been here at the University for over 25 years. As Vice President of Research, I'm responsible for fostering the excellence and integrity of research across all three of our campuses. And this is really an incredible role because I have the opportunity to collaborate with faculty, staff, and students across all sorts of disciplines with the ultimate goal of serving the world through research and scholarship. Thank you again for having me today. So the University of Michigan consistently ranks number one in research volume among US public universities, according to the National Science Foundation. Can you please explain how the university's research volume leads to advancements in society? In, in order to really seriously address the challenges we have uh, across our society with broad societal impact, our researchers rely on support from the university itself or for our external partners like government and industry. You know, that support results in expenditures, us spending money that allow our talented researchers across our three campuses to make advancements in areas ranging from COVID-19 uh, solutions to driverless vehicle technology, social justice, carbon neutrality, uh, we also have generous support from our external partners that's incredibly competitive. Uh, so our research volume, when we talk about that, is really a testament to the dedication and expertise of our research community. I, I would add to that also that um, we believe strongly that when we research, um, that's not an abstract thing. It's not that the answers that we come up with go into a book or to a journal on the shelf, but that we're interested in here at the university and our researchers in taking the information and knowledge they have and moving those to impact the world by getting that information out there into the hands of um, people to find solutions, whether those solutions are vaccines or how to make my phone or car work more efficiently. Um, those are all part of uh, this research volume that we're working on every day. It's a, it's a real thing, not an abstract thing. So your research focuses on injury prevention can you tell me what was it that led you to focus on injury prevention research and education? Yeah, so I started out um, uh, in doing research, you know, with things that are near and dear to my heart. So I was an, as an emergency physician, I was often you know, at the bedside taking care of people who were injured in one way or another, whether that was car crash or gun violence or uh, trip and fall over something. And started spending a lot of time in my in my early career in, in my you know early and mid thirties thinking about uh, it's great that I can take care of these people and help them heal well but what can we do to make it so they don't wind up here in the first place um, what can we do to keep them out of the trauma bay to start with so that they don't have these devastating injuries that we can do great things in medicine to help them heal from, but, but really the, the biggest thing we could do is to help them not wind up there in the first place. And uh, in learning more about the science of injury prevention, and it is indeed a science of how we think about changing either human behavior around, let's say, drunk driving or changing the way uh, roads are built so that they're safer. Here in Ann Arbor now, we have all these uh, roundabouts put in. That's the result of 
years of science and injury prevention science uh, that's discovered that, that causes less deaths in car crashes at major intersections, for example. Uh, and the same thing with the gun violence work that we've done, really understanding that there is a lot we can do that violence is preventable. Gun violence is preventable also, um, and that there's work we could do in our communities and our society uh, that would help those people never wind up in my emergency department. As a part of your research into injury prevention, you've conducted, as you said, work examining firearm injury prevention in particular. And also, U of M has established the Firearm Injury Prevention Research Initiative. Can you elaborate on why this is such an important topic to study and why U of M is positioned to be a leader in this field of research specifically? Firearm injuries cause a tremendous amount of impact uh, to our society uh, and to our population. So some of those numbers are astounding. It's the second leading cause of death for children. If you live through infancy in our country before your 18th or 19th birthday, it's the second leading cause of death for that age group. Among our older adults in the country, the death from firearm uh, suicide is absolutely tremendous. This has been a big problem in our country for many years, but unfortunately there has not been very much focus on it specifically um, because for, for many years there were too many political forces um, either disallowing funding or silencing really researchers to be able to focus on it properly. So we are now coming out of that time in our country and realizing uh, collectively that this is a, a public health problem. And as I mentioned before, uh, violence prevention and firearm injury violence prevention uh, is, is a science and can be managed uh, and approached in a same public health manner um, that other major problems we have like opioid uh, overdose or a car crash can be managed. And why here you at Michigan? Uh, first of all, as the government has begun to allow more funding on this topic, U of M has already stepped up tremendously and our researchers here are focusing on this topic. So, and we also have uh, the breadth across the university between um, our folks in public health to our, our folks in the medical school, our researchers, engineers, uh, social work, nurses, there's uh, many people of research, in research and in STEM research across the university who are able and are interested in, in positioning themselves now to address this. And that's really great because we're going to need all of their voices and all of their perspectives to be able to really make a change in this. Well, we decreased car crash deaths in our country 75% um, over the last 50 years. Um, I think that we can do the same with firearm injury, but we need major universities like the University of Michigan and researchers to start making this the focus of their work. And then collectively, hopefully we can decrease that amount of injury and death uh, for our population, for our kids and, and our families. Transitioning a little bit, I want to talk about you and your role. So as a female in a lead role at a major public institution, one that is known for world-renowned research, you've obviously had a remarkable career. As we focus on women and girls in STEM programs throughout this series, I'm curious if you can share any experiences that you've had in finding camaraderie or any challenges that you've overcome that you can share. First of all, I'm thrilled to be in this position and also to hopefully be a, you know, a role model for other women who who want to be in STEM. Uh, as a, I was a biology and a chemistry major and then went into medicine uh, and to public health and then into the leadership roles that I have now. Um, there's any number of challenges along the way. I think, you know, women and uh, women who were doing their, their research and study during the time that I was uh, as well are very comfortable being often the only woman at the table 
uh, in, in important conversations. That's increasingly changing, but that certainly was something that I had to get used to um, over time. I think um, one of the other things that that um, I learned and I'd like other, other people to think about, and we're getting to a place where we can think about this more openly in, uh, in academia is uh, whether men and women, we, we all have multiple roles in our life. Um, so I am both simultaneously a physician and a researcher and also a mother of three adolescent girls and two stepsons and a spouse and a family member. And those roles don't get compartmentalized. We all have them 24 hours a day um, and we learn to integrate them. And I think one of the things we've seen with COVID recently is a willingness because all the childcare went away for so many families. Uh, and this really disproportionately impacted uh, women who, who wind up making up most of the, a disproportionate amount of the home duties and parenting. Um, we're able to talk with their employers and their um, their bosses of supervisors and teams about the fact that they had to manage um, this this dual role, and we're able to start talking about it more. Um, and I would like to see after we come out of COVID, it being more acceptable to not be hiding that part of selves that that women and uh, people with caregiving responsibilities have often felt that they needed to hide from their work self. Uh, it's okay to to be able to. Um, be clear that I also am balancing these other roles um, and can do it very well. Um, and women actually juggle multiple roles uh, as well as, as anyone, but that, that we can do that in a more open manner that doesn't have to be a hidden part of my life where my kids never interact or, or have any visibility at all to my work life. And that makes our ourselves fuller selves and allows us to bring our perspectives forth to our teams in a little bit of a different way. And that's a, that's something that I've struggled over the years and uh, overcome some in my thinking about, and I'm glad that it's becoming a, a more clear way for other women to be thinking about it in their roles as well. What are some achievements throughout your career that you're really proud of? I'm really proud um, of the injury prevention work that we've done over, over the years here at the University of Michigan. I'm incredibly proud uh, of the Firearm Injury Prevention Initiative and helping other people get excited about this topic as well. I'm also just incredibly proud and honored to be in the position to have this kind of conversation with you where other women can see themselves uh, in roles of higher, higher leadership uh, across universities. Um, those roles were not always obvious uh, to people and myself including as um, we were looking around for how leaders act and uh, having more role models around and more examples of uh, what it looks like uh, in leadership is good for everyone. It's the, I need to be able to see myself there. And as I walk down the halls of the university, I'm increasingly happy to see pictures on the walls of uh, all kinds of different people in different genders and different color skin. And that allows people to see themselves um, as the possibilities that they may have. And that gives me great pride to be able to be part of that. Why do you feel that it's important to focus on more participation among women and girls in STEM fields? How do you think this can be done most effectively? It's important because we, we need more diversity of voices. And what does that mean concretely? You know, when we're solving a, a problem, whether it's a, a health problem in the emergency department or whether it's a problem around a science table, um, if, you, if, if everyone at that table has the same viewpoint and the same life experiences, um, then they may kind of come up with some of the same solutions, which might be great solutions, but there might be other solutions. 
So, you know, for example, in emergency medicine, um, as we have had more women doing research, we suddenly started doing more research on women who came into the emergency department who were having reproductive issues. Uh, my male colleagues for the decades before me just somehow weren't as interested in studying those problems. Um, having more women at the table, for example, allowed more interest in that because that's something they naturally were more interested in. That's not to mean that women aren't interested in men's problems and men aren't interested in women's problems, but having that diversity of voice allows more of both the problems to be elucidated as well as the solutions to be elucidated. That's true across both gender and race, obviously. My, ex my life experiences as a a woman and a, a mother of three girls uh, and a spouse are different than, uh, than my colleagues may be and my roles and my communities are different. And it's only when we bring all of those different voices together and experiences together will we find the fullest range of solutions that are possible. And that's been demonstrated over and over again. And so then the question is, how do we get women to stay um, in the pipeline through STEM and through the challenges that occur um, to be able to be part of the voice of the solutions and asking the questions and raising the problems uh, over and over again. And I wanna circle back to something else you asked in terms of overcoming. I think one of the things that uh, worked for me and that I encourage my mentees who, who often are women, um, who uh, often are seeking a mentorship from somebody who looks like them, I encourage them to do is to make sure that they're finding peer mentorship. So one of the things that really helped me get through my earlier career uh, in science, writing grants and papers, was that I was working often with one or two other women who were at a similar life stage that I was. And so it made it, it the way we were doing it was a normal way. We were nursing our children and we were pregnant with small babies and we were also writing very high powered grants uh, and working on difficult science problems. And we were doing it in a way that uh, was normal for us, but was a little bit different than perhaps some of my other colleagues would have experienced it. And so that gave us a support system um, and wound up being incredibly successful for both of us. But finding other people who are in a similar life stage or similar background so you can share those experiences with them from your perspective, which might be different than other people's perspective, uh, can help you stay at the table um, in, a, in situations where your role otherwise may not be seen as normal in that particular field because of the place we are in our country yet. You've shared so much advice so far, but I wanted to ask if you have any additional words of wisdom that you can share with women and girls who are embarking on their own journeys into STEM programs. My biggest advice, you know, both you know, for my daughters and my mentees is I often find, and, and I see this in the teams that I've directed over the years as well, that um, the men and the boys that are sitting next to you will um, often appear quite confident and may be very confident, but the women's uh, voices are uh, just as brilliant and contribute just as much. And that's something I always want them to remember. Many women don't feel as confident often at those tables for an assortment of reasons. Um, and I want them to be encouraged and to remember early on that external shows of confidence um, do not equate to uh, brilliance of thought. Uh, those are separate and to not be too dismayed um, uh, by those shows of confidence. Is there anything else that you would like to share? We can do better. We need more women in STEM fields. We need more women in all the STEM fields, not just some of the STEM fields. Um, we need more diversity uh, in race and gender uh, across all of these fields. So we have to keep talking about it. We're not done yet. 
Thank you so much, Dr. Cunningham, for joining us on the special series of Michigan Minds. We so appreciate you sharing your story, your voice, and your advice for all of the women and girls who are starting off on their own paths into STEM programs or are already on them and looking to find more mentorship. So thank you again for taking the time. I sincerely appreciate it. Thank you, Erica. Thank you for listening to the Michigan Minds podcast a production of the University of Michigan. Join the conversation on social media with hashtag UMichImpact.